dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Christians who lead face many paradoxes. We are supposed to be humble, and yet we have authority. We're supposed to be docile, and yet we assert ourselves. We're supposed to be virtuous, and yet we place ourselves in positions that are often tempting. Is it any wonder that so many people think Christians aren't supposed to lead, or so many Christians refuse to lead? Pope St. Gregory the Great gives us a keen answer in chapter 6 of his second book on the rule of shepherds. I just want to say how happy I am to see you all and to be and privileged I am really to be able to speak from the heart to you about something as wonderful as leadership. Because let's just face it, a lot of Christians today don't understand leadership. A lot of Christians today even align their vision of Christianity much more with a, a worldview that that discourages leadership or sees leadership as a threat to the gospel instead of what it is, an instrument of the gospel. I mean, you kind of have a vision that a lot of Christians have today where Jesus and his gospel, and therefore they in their own lives of faith, it's somehow relegated to a spiritual existence that doesn't really make an impact on society. It's tempting to do that because then everything just kind of makes sense. You live in the inner world. You can, you can kind of hide behind God's word and hide behind his message as an excuse to avoid the pains that are afflicted upon you, not only from the outside when you start to lead and all the anxieties and, and challenges that that entails, but also from the inside. As when you start to lead and you realize that you yourself, you know, are, are inadequate or you start to see all of your faults and failings. I mean, nobody really wants to see that anyway. And so we run away. Or on the other hand, you have people that step into leadership, but they step into leadership like those in the world do. And they basically put their faith on the side because they want to make a difference and they want to influence this world supposedly for Christ but they basically put their faith on the side and just develop the techniques and the way of thinking necessary to execute their role as a leader according to the judgment systems of those who are around them. And of course, this is also inadequate because you say to yourself, I mean, if you do have influence, the influence is not supposed to be just from you, but from God. And so how is it that you can, on the one hand, rule in a way that's effective in this world, and on the other hand, uh, pursue the holiness that is called to you by Jesus, whom you're following. I'd like to say that the answer is found in a very simple concept that comes to us from St. Thomas Aquinas. It's called instrumental leadership. Now, he doesn't say leadership. He just talks about the instrumentality of the Christian or the instrumentality of the priest. But the concept is the same. Because we who are acting as members of the body of Christ 
have this strange paradox to ourselves. We, on the one hand, act on our, of ourselves and with our own strength and our own intelligence, fully engaged. And on the other hand, we are mere instruments that God is acting through. So God is acting with his intelligence and his strength through us when, by asking us to engage our intelligence and our strength. And he does it in such a way, this is the great mystery of things, that we don't even really notice that he's doing it. Right? That's what it means to be an instrument. You'll feel like you're by yourself. You'll feel like God is not present in the equation. Sometimes you might feel it, but most of the times you don't. And yet, in fact, you are glorifying him as a creature and he is working through you with his mighty arm and outstretched hand. So how does this exactly happen? This is really where St. Thomas Aquinas is a genius. He has a line here that I want you to all write down. It's very easy to remember. It goes like this. Grace does not destroy nature. Grace perfects nature. Right? That way of thinking is a hallmark of Catholic thought. It is a dividing line between Catholicism and so many other expressions of Christian faith. It's what makes us unique in so many beautiful ways. And it's also the way to overcome this type of paradox. We are tempted to say it's either me or God and where we're, the world divides the two and says either or, Christ comes in in his truth to say it's both and. It doesn't mean that we can operate without God and it doesn't mean that we operate by, in one iota without his grace or by his grace and yet by his grace we actually operate. St. Thomas Aquinas goes really far here. He, he says, not only does grace assume nature and build upon it, but it actually perfects it. That means that the more that we follow Christ, the more excellent a human being we're going to be. And the more that we allow him to use us, the more we're going to be developed in our own capacities. Okay, this, it's, it flies in the face of what a lot of people just spontaneously think. We kind of say, he must increase and we must decrease. And so I'm going to decrease myself to get out of the way of God. And I'd like to say that while that might seem a tempting thing to fly to the monastery or to get thee to a nunnery, right, in order to avoid all of the entanglements of a sad and broken world, for those of us who are called to lead that world, we need to engage it with God, to place all of our talents at his service, to let him take the lead and to push us and we have to understand that he will, on the one hand, be glorified and he will fight the good fight through us and with us, but he will fight it through our engagement of our own talents and our own skills. And this means that we have to be, like St. Ignatius said, he said, you have to work as if everything depended upon you and pray as if everything depended upon God. That's an amazing little quote that helps us remember this. So yes, when we're in prayer, we totally surrender to God. When we're in prayer, we put everything in his hands and we disappear before his almighty majesty. But when we act, we need to deploy the intelligence that God gave us. We need to engage the courage that his Holy Spirit has placed upon our hearts. We have to get into that battle and realize that battles are wearisome, difficult, challenging. And that we have to hone ourselves if we plan on winning them. Life, in other words, will knock down a Christian leader 
just as much as it'll knock down a non-Christian leader. And a, a Christian leader will have to be as courageous, as avid for the victory, as thirsty to see the changes that they want to see made in this world as a non-Christian one is. But it's like a, a lament of mine personally to look out at our world and to see that the Christians are laying down and dying while the forces of the world are thriving in their pursuit of power. And I just want to challenge you all and say thank you for coming because you're on the right side of history here. To be God's instruments means to enter into the battle. It means to have the conversations. It means to stay up late at night planning. It means to want to see things happen and make changes at least as badly as those who don't know God want to make changes. I mean, why is it that folks today who want to make money seem to be willing to be more arduous in their pursuit of power and of position and of prestige than those who want to wield that, those same positions to help the others, to help the poor, to glorify God. It's almost like people are more willing to glorify themselves than we are to glorify God. And listen, that just can't be. If they're going to stay up that late, working as hard as they do in order to bring this world down, you and I have the obligation, we who bear the name of Christian, to demonstrate the love of Christ to this world with as much ardor by staying up late and sacrificing and developing ourselves and fighting through the planning processes and the team building and the strategic development that we need to in order to launch great things to glorify him. There is no middle way when it comes to being an instrument of God. Being an instrument of God means that he's going to work through our work. And we've got to be willing to do that to make it happen. This is Father Nathan. I know that there are many ways to learn leadership, that there's many great methods out there that are even put forth by Catholics. But here at the St. John Leadership Institute, we actually have a unique way of forming leaders. It's called Audeo. That's Latin for I dare. At our campus in Denver, Catholics can learn an authentically Catholic way to become a leader. Check us out on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So we're talking about chapter six here of the second book of St. Gregory the Great's pastoral rule, right? The rule of shepherds. And I love this chapter because here Pope St. Gregory the Great outlines for us a real honest-to-goodness assessment of what it's like to be in leadership as a Christian. Because he, first of all, proposes that it's really hard to be in a place of leadership because you want to be humble and you recognize that you're the equal of all those who, whom you are called to lead, and yet you have to rule them. You have to lay down laws and rules and direction and vision. And especially in the world, now he's writing, of course, for bishops, but we are in the world of business. We understand this. To, to be on the top means you got to be on the top. And it's just not always easy to be on top because you say to yourself, well, who am I in the end to be telling everybody else what to do? It's just so much easier and it seems so much more Christ-like to just get along with everybody, to be the friends of those whom you lead and to not seemingly assert yourself in a role of dominance. And yet what's really hard is we know that if we do that, we're going to be walked all over. 
and the mission that's been entrusted to us might just fail instead of succeed. And so we're kind of stuck in a quandary. What are we to do if on the one hand, we act like we're in charge and we boss people around because we are the boss after all, uh, we, we, we might seem as if we lack respect. We might seem as if we're haughty and we might even become haughty for all we know. But on the other hand, if we don't act that way and we just let, and we just put ourselves as the equal of everyone else, well, usually what happens is that bad people start to influence and toxicities on the rise in our places and our people are led down the wrong path and we who were in charge end up holding the bag for it because we should have said something, we should have done something and we didn't. And so in the middle, you have this place that's really hard that we're called to be in. And I think it's very consoling that way back in the 6th century, when Pope St. Gregory the Great was writing this book, he found himself in exactly the same situation. We read, for example, let's just read a little bit about what he says here because it's really great. He begins chapter 6 by saying, The ruler should be, through humility, a companion of those who live well, and through the zeal of righteousness, rigid against the vices of evildoers, so that in nothing he prefer himself to the good, and yet, when the fault of the bad requires it, he be at once conscious of the power of his priority, to the end that, while among his subordinates who live well, he waives his rank and accounts them as his equals, he may not fear to execute the laws of rectitude towards the perverse. All right, so he's really giving us the opportunity to put into practice a very common Latin motto that is awesome. It's called suaviter et fortiter. It means suaviter in modo, fortiter in re. And it simply means this, gentle in your mode of action, the way that you act, be gentle. Be humble, be wonderful, be united, be kind, but be strong in your determination. Fortiter in re means to be strong in the reality of what you're facing. In other words, that if you're in charge of the organization and people are, are, are disabusing others or taking advantage of the situation and your culture is going downhill, you've got to be strong enough to say, it's not about you, Bob or Fred or Jimmy. I'm not here putting any, myself above any of you, okay? I'm not acting like somehow or other I'm better than you. What I am doing is saying that your behavior is going to have a detrimental effect on everyone else in the organization and on all of our common effort to actually hit the objective and to do so well. And so therefore, I need to be strong. We're not in a position of authority, in other words, because somehow or other, the exercise of power is bad. Okay, we are in a position of, of authority so that we actually exercise that power for the good. We need to be gentle in our strength, but strong in our gentleness. And Gregory the Great actually points this out. And I think that that's really consoling because a lot of us wouldn't think that. You know, he actually says, for superiors, by no means show themselves proud in seeking to inspire this fear in which they seek not their own glory, but the righteousness of their subordinates. Okay, so again, he's writing to bishops. So that's not really our job as business leaders to worry about the righteousness of our subordinates, but it is in a sense, right? In the sense of saying like, 
we have the job to do to make sure that the people underneath us work well. Okay. And so to do that, well, we don't, we don't show ourselves proud when we sometimes inspire fear in them. We rule. We say what we got to get done. We enforce the rules that are put in front of us. And we have that bold audacity to occupy the leading position in the company. And that is a bold audacity. And I know it is. And it's against a lot of our character because a lot of us are really nice people who really want to be nice. I'm like, you try being a priest sometime, okay? This is why you got to pray for your priests. You become a priest because you love people and you want to help people, right? And then you're given an authority that sometimes it's almost like you're hurting people by exercising that authority. So I can understand what that must be like when as a boss, you've got to let people go or you've got to downsize or you've got to rearrange or take someone who's been there for 30 years and put them in a different department because even if they've been there for 30 years, they're still not you know, demonstrating the, the capacity to continue to lead in that department and to do their job well, right? So all of those things can put you in a spot where you feel small because you don't want to crush or hurt those who are underneath you. He says, don't feel proud when you have to do that. Don't feel like that's somehow or other something that makes you bad. It's something that has to be done and you actually can be humbled while you do it. He, he says this beautiful thing. He says, actually, the people whom you have to chastise for ill behavior are actually more blessed by your chastisement because in the end, you know, you and you and I are going to be judged by God one day. And, you know, we have to correct ourselves. He says, for their vices are through us smitten with the vigor of discipline. But in those which we commit ourselves, we are lacerated by not even a word of upbraiding. Wherefore, we are by so much the more bounden before the Lord as among men we sin unpunished. But our discipline renders our subordinates by so much the freer from divine judgment as it leaves not their faults without retribution here. And so he's basically what he's saying is the real problem is that we don't have ourselves or anyone above us who will chastise us. I mean, in the end, isn't it a great grace to be pointed out where you fail? Because then you can actually correct your ways and do better going forward. This is Father Nathan. I want to tell you about a very unique place, the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. This is a place where young adults learn how to evangelize effectively, not necessarily by speaking about Jesus everywhere, but by transforming culture through the witness of their life and authentic leadership. Besides earning a master's degree or starting a business, they learn that leadership is a path to holiness. Find out more at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So we've spoken now at some length about Pope Gregory the Great insisting that leaders actually lead. What's the flip side to that? Well, we're in chapter six here of his book, Rule of Shepherds. This is a second book, and he is very cognizant that there is a threat. When we do assert ourselves and we actually lead and exert power over other people, this is, of course, a great service because it maintains the integrity of the organization and allows people to work well, etc. But there's a flip side. There is a concomitant danger for the ruler. Here's what he says. He says, commonly a ruler 
from the very fact of his being preeminent over others, is puffed up with elation of thought. And while all things serve his need, while his commands are quickly executed after his desire, while all his subjects extol with praises what he has done well, but have no authority to speak against what he has done amiss, and while they commonly praise even what they thought to have reproved, his mind seduced by what is offered in abundance from below is lifted up above itself, and while outwardly surrounded by unbounded favor, he loses his inward sense of truth. And forgetful of himself, he scatters himself on the voices of other men and believes himself to be such as outwardly he hears himself called rather than such as he ought inwardly to have judged himself to be. Well, if that doesn't put it well, I don't know what does, right? Here, he's really acknowledging that on the other hand, we have to always be on guard because people will praise the one who exerts leadership. But it's not because we simply exert power or exert influence that we're worthy of praise. Because what happens is that we shift, he says, from considering the truth of the matter to considering how other people view us in the matter. And we allow ourselves, he says, to be scattered upon the voices of those who are underneath us. So we to be really careful here. This is a beautiful call. A Christian is called to assert themselves in leadership, to make an influence, to rule when they are in a position of power. We need to do that in order to be God's instrument. But we have to be careful that when we do that, our focus is on the guiding star of truth and not on the guiding voices of the opinions of those who are around us. Because people will laud us as soon as we start to assert ourselves. But in that lauding, we can become confused and mistake their approval for, the, for in, in truth, being the good leader. So what are we to do? Well, he says, take a look at St. Peter and St. Paul. Both of them give us an example. He says, when Cornelius, when he goes to baptize Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, you have Cornelius who bows down in front of him. And St. Peter stops him and says, stop, I'm just a man. And in other words, this is an example where Simon Peter, the great, you know, first pope of the church, doesn't allow himself to be adulated beyond what is his due. He exercises a kind of humility and a kind of unity with the people that he rules over. Cornelius, for example, whom he's about to convert and bring into the church. He, he looks at himself as part and parcel on the same team with, with Cornelius. And he doesn't allow Cornelius to extol him beyond that. And yet the same Simon Peter, when confronted with Ananias and Sapphira, who steal from him, actually exerts such a strong authority that their life is even taken away from them, right? So he doesn't ha hesitate to rule when he has to, but he also demonstrates humility and a, a, a viewpoint of, of unity with those whom he rules. This is an amazing, I, I like the way that Pope St. Gregory puts this. He says, you're to look at the, your subordinates as other human beings, just like you, who are the same by nature. And the, if you have any kind of prerogative over them, it isn't because you're any different from them in terms of your nature, but perhaps because of your education or your work or whatever it might be, you've been able to have this position to lead them. But that's a sense of humility. And he says the same thing as St. Paul. 
St. Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians 1.23 says that we do not have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, right? And yet at the same time in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, what shall I say? Shall I come to you with a rod, right? Like, you know, so he demonstrates both in Peter and Paul this same principle. Pope Gregory the Great puts, goes further and he says this beautiful quote. He says, supreme rule then is ordered well when he who presides lords it over vices rather than over his brethren. Well, now this, in other words, is for you in the world of business. When you are exercising authority in your role as president of the company or as, as the manager of your team or the boss, you need to exercise that authority over things that go wrong instead of looking at it as if you were exercising it over your people. You correct the behaviors. You don't have to judge the people, right? When superiors correct their delinquents, subordinates, he says, it remains for them anxiously to take heed how far, while in right of their authority they smite faults with due discipline, they still, through custody of humility, acknowledge themselves to be on par with the very brethren who are corrected. As you can see, it's just another one of these paradoxes of Christianity and of correct leadership that you have subordinates and you have a hierarchy and yet the hierarchy is not absolute. It doesn't extend into the inner viewpoint of their, the people's souls of, or the person's nature or what their identity is profoundly. It is instead put on the outside of their role in the organization and your role thereof. Suaviter et fortiter, to be gently strong and strongly gentle. This is the goal that our Lord himself, you know, puts forth for us as he leads. And he shows us this way. He is strong in his purpose. And at the same time, he brings us there gently. Let's finish with a prayer to him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, gentle shepherd, we ask you to give us strength, to fill our hearts with the knowledge of how to be your instruments. Make us strong when we are afraid and make us humble when we have to exercise strength. In all things, we glorify you. Thank you for letting us serve you. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God is not the enemy of your activity. God is the source of your activity and the one who blesses your life from on high. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.